Welcome into episode 97, Gump Runners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Landon Beeman back on the pod with us tonight. Um, J-Law's a little bit busy, so Landon's going to slide in for him on a last-second notice. We appreciate it, Landon. Um, big news of the day, obviously, coming out of Tuscaloosa is um, Alabama Hoops beating Moorhead State 105-73. to 73. Uh, Grant Nelson goes for 24-7. and seven. This guy's freaking unbelievable. Um, Lesser, did you get to watch a lot of the game? Um, what was it? Monday night? I saw where, uh, you know, newcomers for Alabama scored, I think like 78 of the team's 105 points. Yeah. I, t- I texted y'all. I said, man, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to put names with faces. Cause that was actually the first time that I got into lay eyes on them. And, uh, it, it's, you know, it's crazy how many fresh faces are on the court out there. Man, it was so much fun watching, you know, it was so much fun watching those guys They They, Alabama went to the Sweet 16 last year. They were the number one ranked team for a good little while, and they start this year ranked 24 in the initial rankings. You know why? Because they have so they lost so much, and they brought in so many guys. But bro, it's looking like every single one of those guys that NATO brought in is a hit, a hit, a perfect fit for this offense, uh, a perfect fit for what Nate wants to do. And and what 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 really impressed me the most is everyone looked cohesive and in control. There was no wild, crazy, you know, flailing, you know, just weird stuff going on on the basketball court. Everything looked precise. Um, when kickouts were happening, they knew those guys were going to be in those spots. Everything went really smooth and really fluid, especially in the first half when you're playing primarily the starters, but. Everyone that played and got some burn in that game, they look really good. I'm really, really impressed with that team so far. Yeah, um, shooters everywhere, man. I mean, last night, I mean, shooters, you had Mark Sears, Aaron Estrada, Grant Nelson, um, Jaron Stevenson, Brandon Miller was in the stands. I mean, shooters all over the place. Landon, what was your initial initial thoughts to this, uh, this Alabama, new Alabama basketball team? Uh, man, I was really, really impressed uh, with what I saw. I mean, and to be honest with you, I I wasn't expecting what I saw. I, I expected a lot when I, you know, obviously you're just talking about a lot of new faces. I expected, honestly, kind of one of those, like, I think we were favored by like, what, 21 and a half or something like that. I expected us really to not even cover the game. I thought we kind of win by like, you know, 15 to 18, like a pull away late type of deal where, we're trying to get cohesion. It's a new team and little things like that. But I was totally wrong with what I saw. Um, we I never thought we were about to hit 105 or anything like that. Uh, no, like we we played very well, really really well. Biggest thing that I came away with was I was really impressed with our guard play in terms of what they wanted to do with the basketball when they brought it up the court. You know, there was a purpose. Um, Aaron Estrada, Latrell Reitzel, Mark Sears, you know, they brought the ball up the court in a fundamental way and were looking to make the right play at the right time in order to get a basket. Whereas last year when you had Quinterly at point guard, as great as Quinterly was when he was on, 
you know, he would make the highlight play, the flashy pass, the behind the back when he was on. And that was great to see. I mean, we, we you know, it was awesome sports center highlight, but there were so many games. It was just dribble, 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 dribble. And we just run out of possession and, you know, that's it. You know, he does something stupid or something like that. Whereas yesterday, and obviously we know, I know the competition all wasn't great, but he, you know, Quinterly even did this against lesser competition. So, but you know, our guards, when they got the ball, it went from point A to point B to point C basket. Point A, point B, you know, C basket. You know, like it was it was very smooth, and that's what I like to see. Like, you know, like I said, point guards like Quinterly, J.D. Davison, the AAU type of circuit, which I think has ultimately ruined like a fundamental way to play basketball in a sense. You know, the guys we had yesterday, you know, Mark Sears, a mid-major, Aaron Estrada, a mid-major – they know how to fundamentally play the game. And I really, that's what I think was really impressive to me is they, we fundamentally really were really sound. And then obviously Grant Nelson, I mean, what can the guy not do? I mean, man, I, you know, we sat here and we watched Brandon Miller and we're like, you know, Hey, number two pick in the draft, you know, all that stuff. And how Grant Nelson said, hold my beer yesterday. I mean, the dude was awesome both on offensive and defensive. I mean, really, really, really impressive. Um, you know, a lot less turnovers, obviously. Only 13, which is great for the style of game game we play. Um, and then I, my, late, my last thing I want to say, 81% from the free throw line. If we shoot 81% from the free throw line in every game, you will never hear one complaint out of me. That is perfect, and that is – and that also tells me we have a group of shooters. Because if you can, if you can be nails from the line, then you can be nails from the three-point line. You know, a free throw is free. It's just you in the basket. That's it. And if you can be nails from there, you can also be nails from beyond the arc. Yeah, definitely. The the numbers we always look for um, on this podcast and ones we'll talk about are, you know, 38, 30, yeah, around 38% or better from, from the arc and um, 18 turnovers or less. And a lot of people will say, like, you know, 18 is really high. Well, when you play at the pace Alabama does, they're going to be top five every single year in pace of play. So, you turn the ball over 18 times or less and then shoot 38% or better from deep, um, which Alabama is also going to shoot more threes than um, probably 85% of teams in, in, in Division One basketball. So those two numbers are something that we always look for. But, yeah, if you include that um, from the free throw line as well, it's just icing on the cake. Um, my favorite time of year, man. You know, you can go from the gridiron to the hardwood, hardwood back to the gridiron. So, this is one of my favorite times of the year where, you know, you get to watch Alabama multiple times in a week, not just – you don't have to just wait for Saturday to watch the football team. Um, I think Alabama's back in action Friday night, and then, of course, they're in, they're in Lexington on Saturday. Let's move over to the to the football field, Lester. Um, offensively, start with the offense first, as we like to do. You can talk about, you know, Milrow, Reese, um, receivers, O-line, running backs, whatever. Just give me your your general um, analysis of this LSU game and, and how Alabama was able to dominate, especially in the second half. Everyone get real close and listen to me. Really, oh really boy. close. Here we go. Here we go. Pay, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Speak up now. All right. Listen good. Tommy. Reef was, as J-Law would say, in his bag. You know, I got pissed a couple weeks ago. I was like, I don't want to see any new shit or anything out of this team because it is too late to start bringing that stuff out. Well, he brought it out, 
and it looked damn good, guys. It really did, and it it you you're glad to see it, but in the back of your mind, aren't you like, where was this? You know, two months ago, not even the complicated stuff, but just a simple hike. And run left for the quarterback, run right to the quarterback behind like two blockers. That's simple. Where was that like two months ago? We don't have to hash that out. I'm glad it's here now. But Tommy Reese was in his bag. I don't know what stroke of genius hit him, but it truly did. And I expect nothing less going forward for the rest of the year. The team that we saw on offense, that team is capable of beating anybody when paired with that defense. And that's all we've been looking for all year long, right? Just the offense to complement the defense, right? Offense. Pick up the D sometimes. It's not it, it it shouldn't be hard. Offense should not be hard. And Saturday it looked really easy. I know that you know LSU does not have the best defense, but the fact that the things that they did were creative, it's on film, it's something else for another team to plan about. It's something else for them to worry about. Something else to take time from one thing to the next. So I love it. I really, really enjoyed what I saw, and I really do have to get props to Tommy Reese. Like the team looked damn good. Milro, early on, you can tell he was amped up, but that guy settled into the damn football game, and he played his tail off. You know, there's a lot of criticisms of him, the team, and this offense early on in the year. And they were warranted 100%. You don't have to go back and apologize for what you said or, you know, any of that bullcrap. I saw a lot of them on Twitter. Oh, no, you want to yada, yada, yada. No, the team looked like shit early on, bro. They really did. But now they have seemed to have figured it out. This team has grown. They have gotten better, which is all that we wanted, right? But we just did not want this team to start so bad from the beginning. And I feel like that's what's holding this team back as far as, like, the playoff scenario goes and all that stuff. But, you know, can't worry about that now. But it's so much fun. I'm really, really looking forward to how they play against Kentucky and Auburn and in the SEC championship and going forward. Yeah, and last year you hit the nail on the head there, man. I mean, yeah, I, man, I had people coming to me on Twitter. They were texting me. Uh, one guy was listening to Gump Runners was like episode 89. He was like, I just want to hear y'all bash Milro. And I said, dude, we didn't tell one lie. I was Not at the at pre- all. I was at the Not preseason scrimmage. Landon was at the preseason scrimmage. He'll tell you Milro did not look the best out of the three quarterbacks. And <laughs> you know, he saw the same thing I did. And and I the biggest thing with me, I didn't think I thought he had hit a ceiling. And boy, is he busted through it. And I think him and Tommy Reese are doing it together. To me, in this game against LSU, one of the most impressive things I saw was um, Bama had its best offensive production in a game where they didn't have the deep ball. They didn't complete one deep pass. And that's something where in a couple of games, you're like, okay, Milrose holding the ball. He's waiting for the deep ball, waiting for the deep ball. And it was just like Alabama was just waiting to hit that big play to get the offense going. It never happened against LSU. And it didn't matter. Um, but, you know, it seems like the coaching staff is seeing what we're seeing as fans, which most people will be like, yeah, that's what they're paid to do. And, of course, they know way more football than us. But if you think about it, the last two years, it seemed like nothing got fixed on either side of the ball. There's plenty of holes with this team, sure. 
but it seems like they're all getting plugged one by one by one. You know, last week we we talked about how Milro needed to have a quicker clock and it said, Lester, you talked about putting them on like a, a three, three and a half second clock in practice. Use your biggest weapon, um, which is your legs. Make two reads and then take off. Um, he did that against LSU, and the results speak for themselves. This, it's, it's not hard, and I think that Milro is making it hard. Um, but what Tommy Reese is doing and working with Milro is tremendous, and not just with Milro. You know, 74, Caden Proctor has been bad in pass protection. Reese implements chips with the tight ends. Your quarterback was a one-read guy. He wouldn't throw the ball. He was taking sacks outside the numbers. He was holding the ball too long. All of these holes have been plugged on top of being more creative in the play-calling aspect. You put all those together, and you have a championship-type offense. So big-time props to Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow. But now, like Lester said, we have to see consistency. You can't go to Lexington and lay an egg or we'll be right back to square one. You know, take the game plan that you had against LSU, tweak it with some wrinkles, you know, every single game. And, you know, I think this chance, this team has a chance to do something special with the defense that they have. Um, Landon, what was your overall opinion of the game on Saturday and how the offense played? I was I was super impressed. I mean, I, what the way we attacked them, that was the way that going into the year, like starting with Middle Tennessee State and everything, that is the quarterback that everybody saw Jalen Milrow uh, be on Saturday. That was the guy I thought we were getting. I thought we were getting a guy who was going to be, you know, that 12 to 12 out of 16 for 180 yards passing, but then have 150 yards rushing with it and two or three rushing touchdowns a game. That's the type of quarterback I thought we were going to have this year. And But the whole time up until this game, we were watching a pocket passer. We were watching a guy sit in the pocket and chunk it downfield and throw deep balls. And, I, you know, we've all, like I said, like you said, we've all been sitting on this podcast saying, gosh, if he would ever just take off running. Well, you know what? He finally did it. The man finally took off running when nothing was available. And you know what? When he took off running, he took off without hesitation, and he and he had a purpose. When he took off running, he had a purpose of where he was going, and it paid off. It paid off tremendously. And that's like you said, that's all we've been asking all year long because when he's able to do that, it changes everything. It changes. It opens up the offense. The O line looks wonderful. All that. That's all we've been asking. And I was so, I was so, so damn impressed with him doing that. He finally did it. But you got to keep it going. We play Kentucky this week. You got to keep it going. I want him to have another ten to fifteen carries running the ball because it works. It opens up the offense and. The way LSU was playing us, you know, they had all the injuries in the secondary. You know, their corners were playing, you know, six to seven yards off the receivers, two high safety looks. So, Milrow running the ball and all and the running game opening up, I mean, man, the offense had a lot more efficiency to it. It wasn't boom or bust. And it was – it everything methodically worked. And then, lastly, he finally threw the ball to the running backs out of the backfield. I've literally harped on it all year long. I think our running backs up until this point, compared to the last seven or eight years, I've had like the lowest amount of receptions of any Alabama run, Alabama collective group of running backs. And the man finally threw the ball to him. And look what happened. Everything looked easy. They helped him out. You know, 
everything worked. So I was very, very impressed with that. Credit to Tommy Reese and them for finally either, you know, I don't know if they were just waiting to call these plays for him because a lot of these plays were pass plays and Milrow just took off running. You know, and like I said, he did it without hesitation and he had a purpose. And he faked out the defense so many times. What was it? I think it was in the third quarter. He was running left in the red zone and he was looking at our receiver to the left, Sage Ryan's covering him. And he completely faked him out and goes straight to the end zone for a touchdown because those guys were so focused on him throwing the ball. Because, and to their credit, on film, Jalen has not the whole year has not looked to run like that. I mean, if if that was if that was our offense from week one, what you saw this past Saturday, I, we don't have a loss. You know, we beat we beat Texas with without that. You know what I mean? With that, you know what I mean? And that's so, the, you know that's what me and Lester were kind of talking about before we started the podcast. And you know, we're not going to harp on it, but that's the only thing that's really um, confusing and frustrating here is because now we've seen what the offense is capable of. Well, you're still holding a home loss to Texas. Um, you know, back in back in week two, and you got to figure if if the offense is called the way it's called. Um, this past game against LSU, then, you know, that that game might have a different outcome. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so I, I, I was very, very impressed with how how we did that, and I, I want to see it continue. I was, I was impressed with how we used Kendrick Law out of the backfield. I want to see more of that because, I mean, that guy needs to play more. That, that dude, every time he touches the ball, something positive happens. Um, Jam Miller finally got the rock. You know, I hated the fact that Jan Miller had to get the rock because Coach Saban just spoke a few days ago and said that, you know, Jace McClellan's banged up. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, no shit, he's banged up. You've used him all year. You know, use all use all the backs. You know, you want to play murder ball, hey, use all of them. I mean, your fourth string guy was the MVP of your spring game. Use them. They're there to help you. You don't have you don't have to ride a you don't have Derrick Henry. You know, you can't ride Jace McClellan like a mule. I mean, I'd love for us to, but Wear and tear eventually happens, especially at this point in the year. So I mean, keep them fresh, keep using them, man. And especially, you know, with with Milrow, he's a fifth back. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know, when it seems like ninety percent of Jace's carries have been in between the guards. I mean, you're just he's yeah. going into the monsters in there. Yeah, and shout out to the shout out to damn uh, Jaden Roberts, man. You know, O line looks wonderful, and you know, if we go back to this, I, and I I hate this because. I, I harped on this with Chris Owens, Kendall Randolph, and now I harp on it with Darian Dalcourt. I harped on it with Slade Bolden, you know, the famous leadership committee guys, I guess. Why did it why did it take for Darian Dalcourt to get hurt for Jaden Roberts to finally get legitimate reps in order to secure the job? I mean, it's not like Darian Dalcourt was some great great guard by any means. I mean, he's been he's been mid his whole career. Yeah. I mean, why did it why I mean the fact that it took this long, you know, really concerns me because like Hell, what else we got going on? That's a question. That's a that, Thornton answer. That's the Saban playing the senior, playing the guy who's bid his time. That's all that is. And hopefully, it's you know, Saban, hopefully it's when Saban retires, you know, he'll he'll come out with a book or do an E60 interview, like giving us answers to all this crap. Because I still want to know why he waited till the second half of the Natty to play Tua over Jalen Hurts. I mean, I understand the situation, but dang, I mean, that was pretty obvious from the get-go and he about cost us a natty with that <laughs> so there's yeah. plenty, plenty of questions we we want answered in regards of uh of older guys getting playing time over younger ones who were clearly better and, and you see it again this year with jane roberts 
But go ahead, Lester. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's amazing because like who else on the team is like that? Who else is someone who's waiting to you know seek opportunity to come in and make an impact on this team, and they're not just because of you know for whatever reason. I do like the way playing a lot of skill guys. Um. You know, I saw Kobe Prentice line up in the backfield once or twice. We even ran a triple option play. I about flipped my shit. But I don't know. That's just, that's just a random thought. I know that's something that we've talked about forever. It's just a seniority complex that Satan has. Yeah, third downs are definitely big in this game as well. Alabama was 11 of 14 on third down. Um, but went back and rewatched seven of those were off of either running back check downs like Landon talked about or quarterback scrambles. That right there is your game-changing stat. If this is the same old Milro that we've gotten for the last five or six weeks, then he continues to hold the ball, looking for the deep shot, waiting for it to open up, taking sacks, and we're maybe six and a 14 on third down, which is fine. You know, you're still 40 45%, but you might lose that game if you don't convert all those third downs with his feet and with his check downs. And so that was a huge factor in the game. Um, Lester, this is the first time that I've thought Jalen Milrow could win a national championship. If he's going to win a championship, this is the style of quarterback he has to be. He's not a pocket passer. His arm is not good enough to sit in the pocket and beat guys and beat people. Um, You know, he has the deep ball. Everybody knows about that now. But sitting in the pocket, trying to throw to all levels of the field, that's not who he is. Um, but when he uses his biggest asset, which is his legs, now this opens up literally everything. Everything that everybody says about Jaden Daniels at LSU, things like, you know, you, you can't let him scramble. You have to control your pressures. He can beat you deep, um, watch for the quarterback runs, and, and, you know, you have to spy him. All that now has to be said about Jalen Milrow. If this is how he is going to continue to play. We, Alabama doesn't need somebody to throw for 300 yards a game from the pocket. He needs to be, like we've talked about, 60 to 65%, 180 to 220 yards, and then run for 75-plus. If he runs for 75-plus, what's that mean? That means that he's not getting sacked four-plus times, which is good for the offensive line and the flow of the offense in general. Um, this is only his second game. I guess he's had, what, eight starts. This is only his second game this year where he's ran for over 50 yards. And to me, I believe 50 yards should be the baseline for Jalen Milrow every single game. They stayed ahead of the chain Saturday, and that was that was huge in a game where he needed to score 30-plus to win. But talk more about Milrow in detail. You kind of talked about Tommy Reese and him, him being in his bag. But now talk about Milrow and what he's done, what he did over the bye week to really change his game. I think finally they have a game plan tailored for him. Like, you can't put Tom Brady in a wing tee or, you know, speed option, whatever offense. It's not going to work. You know, you can't expect Jalen Milrow to run, you know, the same system that, you know, maybe Tua or, you know, Bryce Young ran, like that super pro-style stuff. Like, it's not a fit. Like, could he do it to some degree of success, like to some baseline? Yeah. But – if you truly want him to excel, if you truly want him to be great and live up to his full potential, the game plan has to be tailored around him. Whether they made it, you know, whether they, well, of course they tailored it around him, but whether they, you know, 
made it simple or the installs or whatever it is, they did it fully with Jalen Milrow in mind as the quarterback of the University of Alabama. The game plan this past week, no other quarterbacks were factoring to any decisions at all. That was Jalen Milrow's game plan, and I feel like that's been something that's been needed all year long. He's not going to throw that 10 to 15, 20-yard you know, out route, intermediate route. Sure, anybody can bomb it down the field, but he's not going to go through your, you know, two, three, four, five, you know, progression reads and, you know, if it's not there, throw the ball out of bounds. That's not the type of quarterback that he is. So for him to finally, I bet that game plan came down like a light from heaven because it looked that simple and that quick, that 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 reaction. What we tell, like, like we tell defense all the time, read and react. That's what Jalen Miro did from the quarterback position Saturday night. He read and react. And you know what that means? Quickness. Quick. Efficiency. On your keys. If it's not there, boom. Here's what you've got to do next. Take off and get out of there. So along with that, you know, another thing, too, I want to bring up. Remember how much we bitched about um, when they got down to the goal line? and They were in a shotgun, and now they're doing the Philly special tush push? Something happened in the football building, and it was a major change. I don't know what it was, where it came from, but that's pretty drastic. Going from five wide on the goal line to all of a sudden doing the, you know, tush push or whatever Jalen Hurts and Philly is doing, that's a complete change in philosophy. You know what I mean? Because everyone has a goal line play, right? Everyone has a, you know, third and one or fourth and one play, right? Well, at some point in the season, that goal line play was that, Shotgun, four or five wide, that was it. And now that philosophy is has completely been flipped and still has to play calling. Something happened inside that football office to Jalen Murrow's benefit, and I'm forever thankful for it. I don't know who it came from or where it came from, but I love it. Lester, what, what do you think about, you know, there's there's a rumor flying around, of course, you know, the hamstring injury they got to Jalen a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that's bogus? Because I, yeah. I've heard yeah. also that he's finally healthy. I don't. I've never really seen a hamstring injury heal up over two weeks, and it's not like these guys are sitting on their ass for two weeks. You have to practice every day. Yeah, right. you get a couple of more days off than what you're used to, um, so you can get more treatment. I understand that, and you actually don't have a game that you have to play. So I understand how you can get healthy a little bit, but a hamstring is a nagging injury, man. So right. do you think that's something that? that can hold some water, or do you think that's just bogus? No, I think that's complete bullshit. I think literally what happened is the light switch literally came on for Jalen Miro. Whatever they did, however they simplified this offense, he's the greatest benefactor of it. That's exactly what it is. That's why he's taking off so much faster. That's why he's getting throws off much faster. Whatever they did, it's been simplified, and he's completely taking the bull by the horn. That's it. I don't... I do not believe the injury thing 100% because previously when he did run, he wasn't hobbled before the bye week. You know what I mean? He would have been if his hand – like your hamstring is a big damn muscle. Like if that's bothering you, you're going to know it. So he wasn't hurt, not at all. Yeah, second half of Tennessee, he looked fine as well whenever he was running all over the place. But, yeah, the last six quarters have been huge for Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow. Um, Landon, the dive play, the the play that I hate with the passion that Tommy Reese seemed to run 30, 35 times a damn game. 
um, up until the LSU. This script was completely different. Um, I, I went back and counted because that's something that when I was watching the game, I was like, they're just not running that dive play as much as they are. You know, they were doing a lot of stuff outside the tackles, a lot of quarterback read stuff um, that we that we talked about that everybody saw. But Alabama or Reese only ran 14 of those straight dive plays. But here's the thing. Nine of them came in the fourth quarter. So the first three quarters, he ran five plays where Milrow caught the snap, turned around, and handed the ball off and wasn't involved in carrying out a fake um, or actually keeping the football. Like, um, you know, we've seen all year. He just turns around, hands the ball off. And I've been begging for him to at least carry out a fake if he's not going to tote the tote the rock. But um, only five plays in the first three quarters uh, where, where – um, we, Alabama just ran the straight dive. So, you know, the, the development of offensive coordinator, offensive line, and quarterback is something that Alabama hadn't seen in a long time. You know, when was especially with Milrow, when was the last time we saw this much growth of a single player over a span of, you know, six, seven games? Are we, are we having to go back to the, the Blake Sims and Jacob Coker when, you know, they had the quarterback whisper Lane Kiffin behind them? Is that the last time that we've seen this much growth in a player? I would probably say that. I mean, if you remember Blake Sims' first start, I think we played West Virginia. In me, and Lester were, me and Lester were at that game. He was putrid. Yeah, it went great. I mean, matter we, of fact, I think we only won that game by like 10 points. It was like Clint 30, Trickett. It was like 33 to 23 or something like that. And, and yeah. me and Lester bitched all the way back to the lake. From from the time we got in the car to Atlanta, Georgia, from Atlanta, Georgia to Lake Martin, fussing the entire way back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great at all. And then all of a sudden, I think when we played Florida, it was like the light came on. And then it and then it came off when we played Arkansas and only won like fourteen to thirteen. And then we played, I think it was like A and M, we beat them like fifty nine nothing or something like that. And it just took off from there. I mean, the dude just dude just developed. And with Coker, I mean, you know. Him and Bateman were having that battle even when we played Wisconsin in that first year in 15. And then that whole thing happened with Ole Miss after Cooper Bateman got the start for whatever reason, again, that I'll never know that can go in that saving 30 for 30 book. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Coker then just took off. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what's happened with, with Milrow in a way. I mean, the man ever – I mean, I guess started with the Ole Miss game. I mean – you know, he he really got better in terms of, you know, processing the field and, you know, throwing the deep ball and things like that, which he was always good at, obviously. But, you know, then we played A&M, and he's playing an unbelievable front, which I, I think Texas A&M is going to be the best front, including Georgia, that they we see all year, pers- my personal opinion. I think A&M's front the, that we played uh, is pretty damn legit. Um, and, you know, Miller – was slicing and dicing, doing his thing. Now, he didn't run the ball or anything like that like we just saw. And now, all of a sudden, now the guy's running and doing this. And so, you know, you, you know you're know, you the Kentucky defensive coordinator this weekend. How do you prepare for Alabama now? You know, the, the saying was, oh, just make Milrow throw and just stack the box. Yeah, and that's what okay. I talked about earlier with that, that Jaden Daniels comparison. Everything you say about Jaden Daniels and everybody's like, those two weren't on the same level. Yeah, they kind of are. I mean, Daniels yeah. throws the ball better, probably 30 yards and under, 
but they can both throw the deep ball and they can both run like hell and they're both very hard to catch. So you have to approach, you have to defend in the same way now. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, we were watching, obviously we were at the game and my dad even made the comment. He was like, you know, I think Jalen Milrow has been watching film of Jaden Daniels and has been like, you know what? I can do that. I can play like he can. I can run and do the things he can. I can do that. And hot damn, he did. He went out there and he did. And like I said, he did exactly what we've been asking him to do all year long. And it's, and it makes me feel very confident about his play and, and all that. I mean, it's been, it's it's wonderful. I I hope he I hope he continues it. And you know, hell, next game for all you know, the deep ball may be back there because the way that they choose to play the game now. I mean, you know, I mean, the O line looks better. You know, everybody was ragging our O line like, man, they're not worth a shit. You know, they can't block anybody. You know, and, and we were obviously we were. I was one of them. But a lot of the sacks that they that they were allowing were because of Jalen Milrow, and now. His development from game one to now, he's stepping up in the pocket more. Now, I know the one sack I think Harold Perkins got on him in the first quarter, that one he drifted way too far back. And it obviously, again, you know, it goes on the O-line, but in actuality, it was his fault. He, he, he If he steps up in the pocket, you know, he can then deliver the ball and it's not a sack. But instead, he drifted too far back and Perkins, you know, got Proctor and got, and got him. Um, but – but yeah, I'm in, I'm super impressed with Jalen. I hope he continues to do well. I really do because if he continues to play the way he does, I mean, it's no secret his best rushing performances have been against LSU and Mississippi State, and Alabama had 40 plus. So, yep. You know, you continue that. I mean, hey, you know, hey, good things can happen. And look, you know, if you're listening out there, Jalen Milrow's not going to be perfect. He's still going to take take bonehead sacks. He's going to make boneheaded plays. Um, he threw the ball into double coverage a couple of times against LSU. Uh, so he's he's going to throw interceptions. He's going to get strip sacked. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to win back to back Heisman's or three straight high, however long he's he's in school. But um, what we're saying is, if you get this kind of game plan from Tommy Reese, along with Milrow making smart decisions, especially on third down, then you know, and, and you know, guys. One thing we didn't talk about. One thing I haven't heard anybody talk about. Landon, I, I'll just stay here with you before we go back to Lester. Do you think that a lot of the reason that Milrow was scrambling on third downs is because we did a tremendous job of getting into third and fours and third and fives, whereas in the last you know month month or two months that we we've had a lot of third and eights, third and nines, third and tens, and he really he didn't think he could get there if he ran the ball. So, do you think that had something to do with? him choosing to scramble there. And then, of course, you know, of course, I think the biggest thing was LSU trying to take away the deep ball because now it's it's pick your poison. Are you going to try to take away the quarterback run? Are you going to try to take away um, the uh, the scramble with a couple of spies? Or are you going to try to take away the deep ball? It's pick your poison. So LSU chose to take away the deep ball. So that was the, the probably the biggest part of it. But do you agree with, you know, we had a lot of third and mediums and third and shorts that allowed him to have the confidence that he could get the first down, and then he turned it into to chunk plays. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it makes I think it makes not only Jalen's job easier, but I think it makes Tommy Reese's job easier in terms of a play caller when you're living in you know third and three to third and five as opposed to living in third and eight to third and ten or or, or more. You know, I mean, I think it. I th- and I think it makes Jay. It also, I mean, I think when you ha- when you're living in a third and three or a third and five, in a lot of cases, even if you do run and you only get 
you know, two or three yards, you may be in four down territory where you're in a fourth and one. And, you know, we can operate, you know, the, the Philly special like Lester was referring to a few minutes ago. And, you know, you get the first down that way as well. Um, it, it, so that's I, – I, I agree completely. That's absolutely a lot of it. And, you know, obviously, look, I know so many people are going to say, well, LSU's defense is awful. And LSU's defense is awful. Matter of fact, probably the worst LSU defense I've seen in a very, very long time. Not unless you – I guess you count the one in 2020 that Ed O fielded in, in co- the COVID year. Um, but, uh, but, no, I mean, it definitely makes the offense coordinator's job easier when you're living in situations like that. But in the same respect, I think we were living in situations like that because – Tommy Reese outside of the first drive because uh, breaking news, his opening script still suck. Um, outside of the first drive, though, you know, on first and second down, we were doing a much better job, especially first down, in order to get in those third and threes to third and five. So, so absolutely, I definitely agree with that. Defensively, Lester, what was your opinion, or give me a breakdown of how the defense played in this game? Of course, you know. Dan there gave up 400 yards to Jaden Daniels by himself. He's a heck of a player, man. Nobody's really denying that. Um, I know he didn't play a lot of the fourth quarter after being um, knocked out by Dallas Turner in the game. Uh, but still, you know, they score on their opening drive of the third quarter, and then um, Kevin still shuts them out uh, for the rest of the half. So talk about what you thought of the defense this game. Um, They did exactly what I did not – want them to do, which is allow Jaden Daniels to, you know, run all over the place. Um, and I understand having a spy, like you're basically playing, you know, 10 on 11. I get that. But, you know, you can't allow him to still do what he did. Now, once again, hey, second half, Kevin Steele, the guy, you know, shut it down. Terry Arnold said that they wouldn't let him do media anymore if, if he told him what Kevin Steele said in the locker room. So, you know, whatever he's doing, blood and guts, whatever he's saying, he needs to keep doing it because it's working. Um, but I, I, I think sometimes with, with guys like Jaden Daniels, there, there's there's just nothing you can do. Like I said last week, when you've held them four, five seconds and the ball is still in the quarterback's hands, that's a win for the defense. But, damn, the guy is so good. He's going to take off for 20 to 30 yards. You, you just, sometimes you just kind of have to throw your hands up, like, what can you do? And I feel like, you know, that's what they did in the first half. Like, what can you do? Then, once again, they got in the locker room, they regrouped and came up with a solid game plan and locked it down from that point out. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't like the game plan by Steele in the first half. I think it was very – I thought it was very Texas-like. You know, bring three, four, maybe five guys and just pray you can get to the quarterback. Um, it's almost like they were te- they were terrified to pressure because you're so scared to, be- to give up a big play. Well, guess what? Just like against Quinn Ewers, Jaden Stan- Daniels still made chunk plays. And, um, you know, at least if you pressure him, you've got a chance for a sack interception or at least, you know, you get a shot on the guy. And uh, I think they sat on their heels, which I didn't agree with. And um, – Man, like like I was talking about earlier, it's kind of a pick your poison deal. Well, you know, I always imagine Kevin Steele is, you know, I'm going to go – if I when in doubt, I'm going to go after you. And he didn't do that against Texas and LSU, and it's by far the best two quarterbacks we've played. Um, You know, the debacle before the half, of course, is inexcusable. Um, You know, I I don't care who you're playing. Nobody should go score a touchdown in one minute on this defense with only one timeout left. You know, maybe a field goal, that's pushing it. (laughs) 
But, you know, a, TD, a touchdown there is, is inexcusable. Um, and LSU also had 20 yards and penalties on that drive. So, yeah, outside of that, though, you know, second half, once they got the interception, I thought that was huge. You felt like the game was over then because you didn't think LSU could stop Alabama's offense with what Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow were doing. And uh, so big-time play there, big-time play by Dallas Turner um, on the tip pass and, you know, on the hit on Jaden Daniels. Dirty or not, it doesn't matter. It did the job. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, but I don't think it was going to change the outcome. But anyway, we're not going to sit here and argue about that. Landon, um, what, what was your what was your opinion on the defense and how they played Saturday night? Uh, I was I was very pleased with the defense in terms of especially what we did in the second half. Uh, second half, Kevin Steele is absolutely a real thing. I think I saw that in the second half of games against what, Ole Miss, Arkansas, A and M, Tennessee, now LSU. I think it's eighty-two to thirteen or something like that. Um, you know, and the thing about it. You know, if you pull up the raw numbers and look at, like, total defense, for example, I think Alabama's sitting at, like, only, I don't know, I think 30th in total defense if you looked at that. And, like, I think they're averaging giving up, like, between 17 and 19 points per game, something like that. But what people don't don't tell you is look at the quarterbacks we have seen this year. We've seen Quinn Ewers, um, even Will Rogers at Mississippi State, He's hurt now, but we were one of the few teams that actually played him. Jackson Dart, Joe Milton, Jaden Daniels, and KJ Jefferson. That's what that's the quarterbacks we have faced so far this year. And our defense is awesome. I mean, I mean, I have no complaints really. Um now the first half of the game, I mean, look. Jane Daniels is a hell of a player. I mean, the guy, he reminds me so much of Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson in terms of how they approach the game. I mean, they're all three sitting at the same dinner table with how they like to play the play the quarterback position. Um, I mean, when, when Jane Daniels gets to running, for a guy who's like, I think he's 6'5 and like really obviously very skinny alike and everything, I mean, man, the dude is not only fast, he is elusive. I mean, getting a getting a, when he gets moving, getting a clean hit on him, I mean, it ain't I mean, it's tough. And now, unfortunately, as you as we've seen this year, especially against Florida State and Ole Miss, I mean, when you do hit him, I mean, he ain't gonna slide really. I mean, he's gonna take the hit. And, you know, he's a He's, I think he's a fifth year, if I'm not mistaken. And I think did I heard. He, did he not, you know, Lester asked me this earlier. Did, did he not come in with Bo Nix? Weren't they like one and two? I think so, because he was at Arizona State. He's been there a long time. Or he's, he's been in college I, a long time. I heard even when he was starting at Arizona State, he's been in college for five years. He's missed one game. One game in five years of all the starts he's had. And I think the one game he missed was last year uh, after the SEC championship. I think he messed up his ankle last year against A&M right before they played Georgia. And uh, after the Georgia game that he played in, he uh, he sat out of the bowl game and Nussmeyer played. So he's missed one game and he's been uh, he's been playing college football for five years at quarterback. And he's he's doing all that running, 
and everything, which is remarkable because of the type of build he has. You know, it's not like he's a KJ Jefferson that's, you know, really big and, you know, strong and all that stuff. I mean, you would think a guy like Jaden Daniels would be hurt all the time with the way he plays. But this credit, he's not. I mean, he's a tough guy. And, you know, we did all we could do with him. Um, I think Saban said that we were we had a lot more success when we brought five, uh, especially out of the Raptor package in the second half. Um, but I mean, to his, but, but I mean, unfortunately for Jaden Daniels, I mean, you know, his team has three losses and he, he essentially plays on half a football team. Um, I mean, he basically is, I mean, he's, he plays on half a football team because his defense is horrible. Uh, but, but Kevin Steele, I mean, despite going off Jaden Daniels, I mean, I mean, look at receivers, Malik neighbors had 10 receptions, but he was targeted 18 times. So he had 10 for 171, but Outside of that, I mean, no other receiver they had had over 40 yards receiving. I mean, Kyron Lacey had two receptions for 39 yards. Brian Thomas Jr., three receptions for 36. Mason Taylor, uh, three for 19. I mean, that was it. You know, I mean, so it was kind of like we just let Malik Neighbors get his, especially 18 targets, which they had success in, lining up him in the slot, alternating between Caleb Downs and Malachi Moore uh, guarding him, but you know, other than that, I mean, Terrion and Kool-Aid did their job on Brian Thomas and Kyron Lacey. I mean, they, they really did. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm very happy with Kevin Stills, really happy with the defense. And, you know, to hold an offense like that at just 28, I mean, that's uh, – and only seven in the second half. I mean, man, that was, that was great. I'm really happy to see that. Yeah, hell, you throw it to anybody 18 times, they're going to have a big day. Uh, it doesn't really <laughs> matter who you are, um, especially with an accurate quarterback like Jaden Daniels. But – um. Alabama moving on to the Kentucky game this week. Alabama got to go on the road. You know, it's, it's been a while. You know, Alabama's been in the comforts of Bryant-Denny Stadium for a few weeks now. Um, and so you got to go on the road. Not necessarily the toughest place to play, but a really tough time to play. I can't stand the 11 a.m. games. Um, and this year Alabama's played one, probably the worst game they played this year. They beat Arkansas by three points. Um, contrary to what we, they've done all season, they actually you know, had a good first half and then laid an egg in the second half. So a little bit different story there. I think I, that was one of Alabama's game, worst games they played this year. And then probably Kentucky's best game they played this year is when they played Florida at 11 a.m. Um, you know, Kentucky's coach, uh, Mark Stoops, challenged the fans to get up and pound beers before the Florida game. I'm sure he'll do it again this week. And uh, so – I don't think this is going to be a game where Bama can just wake up and sleepwalk through it. Uh, Lester, what are your thoughts on this Kentucky game in Lexington Saturday morning, 11 a.m.? Yeah, this is all the makings of a trap game. I'm not saying that Alabama will lose, but will it be ugly? Yeah. Big chance of that. I'm not talking like South Florida ugly, but maybe struggle for like a quarter or half. They're going to get pissed at halftime. Um, then second half, they may come out with a little bit of fire under the tail, but I, I, I would love to, this, this is a big game for me because I want to see the makeup of this team. Does this team have a killer instinct? Because, you know, if you win this game, you're booked solid for the SEC championship. Does this team realize that? And are they going to be motivated to come out there, you know, beat to my ass and let's get to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Um, I would really, really love to see this team just have a sense of urgency about itself, you know, because, you know, everybody's, 
you know, oh, let's love on Jalen Miro. Don't talk bad about Jalen Miro anymore. You know, let's love on the O line. Don't talk bad about the O line and you know the offense. You know, everybody's loving you now. Are you gonna sit back on your laurels and you know, yeah, we did that. You know, prime time against the LSU last week. Or are you gonna come out? You know, keep your nose to the grindstone and keep preparing and keep working and go out and whoop some ass and make a statement Saturday. That's what I want to see. So this has the makings of a trap game, and uh, this is going to tell us a lot about this team Saturday. Yeah, you know, Malachi Moore was interviewed this week talking about how they they have to view every game as an as an elimination game for them now. Excuse me. Um, and, and that's a good way to look at it. But, you know, if you don't talk about it, be about it. That old saying, let's go out there. This is a team that Alabama is clearly better than. They've had huge struggles throwing the football. Um, gosh, I don't even know if they've thrown for like 200 yards against an SEC school this year. Um, but I thought, I thought I saw that stat. I didn't memorize it. But, Lester, Alabama favored by 10 and a half. Do you think they cover the spread? Do you think Kentucky keeps it at uh, at 10 or less? Yeah, yeah, Alabama will cover the spread by – I'd probably say I'll take 14. So, yeah, Alabama will cover the spread. Okay. What's your score prediction? Score prediction is going to be 42-23. Huh? You say 14. They're going to win by 14? 42, at least 14. I'm going to say about 42-20. I don't think Kentucky's that great. Oh, you think it's a Um, has-been. No, no, they're not. You're right. I Um, I think defense is going to travel. Um, I'd say at least 35 to 42 points. I think this is one of the best rushing attacks that Alabama has seen this year. Um, problem is, I think I think Bama's been really good against the run, uh, especially when you don't have a quarterback that you necessarily have to play on your heels against. You can really play on on, on the on your toes uh, at all three levels. Really, uh, Kentucky really doesn't have a a big-time receiver that can do damage against Alabama's secondary. And Alabama's just been so sound uh, in the back end that you think, especially since the Texas game, that's probably when they got, you know, beaten the most. But they've been so sound since then in the back end. Uh, you kind of trust – you can, you kind of turn your front seven loose here and just, you know, tell them to, tell them to just go make plays against the run. Um. I think Alabama can win this game. I'm going to say 30 to 17. And my biggest question here, and Landon, I want to ask you this before you give your breakdown. Does my my biggest question going into this game, the thing I'm going to be looking for the most, was the game plan against LSU specifically for LSU when you had two weeks to prepare? Or is it something that Tommy Reese is going to to continue to use? Now, we saw it kind of start to come to fruition in the second half against Tennessee. Milrow was really used in the, in the run game, and that that carried over. Um, but is it is that going to continue? That's one thing I'm looking for the most. And if it does, now my score prediction changes. Now I'm going to be leaning more towards your – you know, you're 35 to 20, 35, 17. I, I, I can see Alabama getting this game between 14 to 20 points like Lester was talking about. But until then, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm just going to be conservative here and say Alabama, Alabama wins 30 to 17. What's your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I think I think we have to – I think you about have to say that, you know, well, it's, we it's think – You know, it's easy to say that, but, hell, were, were we not sure. seeing that in the spring, summer, and fall? And, of course, you know, we don't see it till 
the the second half of week number eight. Yeah, and that you know that's my biggest question. Why? I I would love to know why we had spring, and I understand we had a quarterback competition, whatever you want to call that. Um, I, but you know why did it? Why did it take? I guess for us to finally get a bye week in the middle of the season for us to say, you know what, we need to run our six two, two hundred twenty pound, four five forty quarterback. Like, why did it take the bye week for us to, you know, say that? You know, I know people had the, you know, the the saying of, well, you know, maybe Jalen was hurt. Okay, so it wasn't a shoulder injury. At least I don't – not unless it was the left shoulder because it damn sure wasn't the right shoulder for how much he chunked it down the field. Okay, so it, – and it, I don't – it wasn't a hamstring because if it was a hamstring, I would have at least saw Jalen grimace at at least some point during a game. I mean, some point, at least a grimace. Never saw that. I never saw an ankle tape, nothing like that. So, I mean, was a back injury, a, a tailbone, a, a, a I don't a calf. I don't even I don't have no clue. Um, so I don't. I'm like y'all. I don't think he was hurt or anything. Um, but I, I'm gonna say it continues. I mean, I don't know how you can be a football coach, especially an offensive coordinator, and have all these all this money, and you go in to the film room and you watch him in the second half of Tennessee, and you watch him the whole game against LSU. And then when you play Kentucky this week, you you say to yourself, you know what, we ain't gonna run him. We're just not gonna do it. I just don't. I just don't see the point in it. And we're gonna go back and throw the deep balls Man, and all there's, that. I, there's so there's so many things though because Saban continues to give us this crap about how we have an offensive, we have an offensive system and it doesn't matter who we bring in, they run our system, and that's a bunch of baloney. The only thing that doesn't change is our terminology which I wish he would just sure. say that because he does not have an offensive system. He doesn't have a defensive system either. Kevin Steele's coming in and not even doing close to half the shit that Pete Golding was doing. And he simplified everything. Everything's clicking more. Everybody's on the same page. That's not, if there was a system, that wouldn't be the case. So little mini rant there, but you know, you watch, I watch the 2020 Natty game all the time. One of my favorite plays ever was just, the the touchdown to Najee, and I understand we don't have Najee Harris on this team, but the play action to the left, and then Mac rolls to the right over the over the right tackle, then turns around and just throws it back to the running back. Like you know, I, that's one of my favorite plays, and you know, it's something Alabama's been a terrible screening team this year. I think their offensive line is probably a little too fat to to be successful on the screen plays because it seems like there's always that one guy that slips through and makes a tackle. For a two or three yard loss, um, but that's one that I would love to see. Um, all the stuff where we had the tight ends running wide open, thirty yards down the field, um, you know, getting Devonta and mismatches in the slot. You know, I, I'd love to see all that. But um, anyway, orbit uh, motions. Yeah, and we've we've run more of those. But I heard mm-hmm. Clint Lamb on the lot. I don't know if it was lot on Bama Bama online. I don't know, but. He was talking about he was trying to t- to defend Tommy Reese and why it's taking so long to make this thing work with Jalen Milrow. And he was talking about how they they had a competition like you were talking about, Landon, all mm. through the spring, summer, and fall camp. And they feel like Reese really wanted Tyler Buckner, obviously, right? As as soon as Jalen gets into trouble against Texas, they bench him. They don't play him for a single play. In the South Florida game, they start Buckner. He can't get it done. They go to Ty Simpson. And so I'm sure Reese had something to do with that. But at the same time, me and Lester were also talking um, about this before we hopped on here. 
why would you not – what do you do all summer if you're an offensive coordinator? Would you not come up with a simple 15 to 20 plays for each guy? You know, because at the same time, all this stuff that Milrow is doing well, can Ty Simpson do that well? Because when you run him, you are risking more of an injury. So he might pop a hamstring for real. If that happens, what do you do with Ty Simpson? Do You, you know, it, it seems like if I'm an offensive coordinator, I would have a base – playbook for each quarterback that could potentially run out there for me do you agree I mean do you you kind of see where I'm going with that and sure no I agree I agree because I mean what makes what makes an offensive coordinator what they are is their ability to adapt to their players strengths you know Jalen has a strength at quarterback Ty Simpson has a strength I think Ty Simpson has some of the best mechanics I've ever seen from a quarterback in terms of when he drops back to pass and throws the football I think his release is great everything like that now he doesn't. I don't think he processes information quick enough, and I don't. Th- I think that's why he's not the quarterback. Is because when the bullets start flying, he panics and freaks out, and all those mechanics and everything that he does so well, they just go to hell in a handbasket. And Tyler Buckner, if all I got to tell Tommy Reese, if he watched Tyler Buckner and watched all our quarterbacks and came away with, I really want that guy. I someone needs to test him for drugs because I, I don't know. I, I don't know where that Practice that play. thinking comes Practice from. I mean play. that's. <laughs> he must be. He must be. He must be a He must have one hell of a practice film highlight. That's all I got to say. Uh, but but like I said, you know, part of like you know, we were talking about Blake Sims earlier. You know, Lane Kiffin's a hell of an offensive mind. But in what makes him so good is his ability to adapt to, to players, and he adapted to Blake Sims, and then turned around and adapted to Jacob Coker. You know, Brian Dable. You know, we see him now as a head coach in the NFL. He adapted to. Uh, to Jalen to Jalen Hurts, mm. then he had mm. turned and adapted a Chua. Tua. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, agree. I'm not gonna agree with that one. Well, you talking about to Jalen? I think. Well, I think he hurt. Me, he I think he hurt Jalen. I think. Yeah, he, he tried to put he Jalen. Tried, he tried to make Jalen kind of be like Tua, but then he realized. What, then we all saw when he, you know, got yeah. Tua. Lane Kiffin did a much better job with oh, Jalen yeah. than. Yeah. than and you Dable. know, Sark going from Tua to Mac in 2019 after he gets hurt against Mississippi State. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, he adapted to him. And I, you know what? I think a quarterback like Mac is what's perfect for Sark. I mean, the, how, how Sark wanted to run his offense and everything like that. Mac and him were, uh, you know, a dream. They meshed well together. Um, me personally, I don't think Bryce Young and Bill O'Brien meshed well together at all. I just think Bryce Young was so good that he just, he just made it work. Um, but you know, I think I think that's a lot. What's going on is Tommy Reese is starting to mesh with Jalen Milrow. But again, you know, we asked the same question. I don't know how in the hell you had a whole off season and a spring with this man, and did not think that your bread and butter were go- was going to be his legs running the zone read and things like that. I, I just I, I, there, I, I just hope there's a great explanation for that. And, you know, but, it, would, it would make sense. I know we're kind of rambling here. We're going to wrap it up here in a minute. But it would make sure. sense if he came from a school where he was – he coached nothing but pocket passers. He was – he he taught them a pro-style system. You don't leave the pocket. You're a statue. You you know, you get the ball out quick. You dissect defenses. Not Notre Dame, he had Butner running all over the place. That's what doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Ian booked as well. I mean, you know, it's a – that's great. It's the craziest thing. But as far as the Kentucky game goes, for me, um, 
My problem with Kentucky, and I hear this every year with Kentucky about how they're a good football team. You know, Mark Stoops is a good coach and all that stuff, and then that's great and that's fine. But the problem with Mark Stoops is Mark Stoops tries to coach his football team to be Alabama and to be Georgia, but he tries to do it with three-star athletes. And it just doesn't work. Like, he tries to ground and pound the game. Kentucky, I think, is the slowest team in college football this year. They love to snap the ball with a good old, like, three seconds or less on the play clock deal, grind it out. You know, they're always going to have a pretty good running back back there. They're going to try to hand it off. And it just – the matchup is just not there to beat Alabama unless we go in there and just start turning the ball over and a bunch of random stuff like that. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I expect like something like a 27 to 10, a, a 30 to 13 type of victory for Alabama. I don't think Kentucky's getting in the 20s at all, not with that offense. I mean, Ray Davis this year, who's a good running back, I mean, other than the Florida game where he ran wild, I mean, 21 carries for 80 yards against Mississippi State, 16 carries for 42 against Tennessee, 15 for 59 against Georgia, 17 for 78 against Vanderbilt. I mean, other than the Florida game, the guy really has not done that much at all this year. Um, So I I like to think – I think Alabama's front and Freddie Roach on the D-line and the way – we play more of a heavy nickel as opposed to lighter box. I just think we're going to just smash Kentucky, I mean, to be quite honest with you. I don't – not unless Devin Leary for the once in his life this year has some Steven Garcia game. I, I just don't see it. I, so, I I expect Alabama – I expect Alabama to beat Kentucky. I expect I expect it to be a pretty good victory. I just, I just don't think the matchup is there for Kentucky to give Alabama any problems with the way they – the way they run an offense, I just don't believe it. Yeah, let's let's hope that Stephen Garcia does not show up. But uh, let, all right, Lester, what is your uh, what's your bet of the week this week? Who do you have? Georgia, Ole Miss, <laughs> Kiffin, come on, my guy, dude. Kiffin's sitting there running his mouth about Dallas Turner, and I just wanted to be like, have you? Do you know who you're playing this week, bud? You I don't know. I'd be commenting about, on bro. Alabama, like. You're going exactly. you're going up against the king right now, dude. Exactly. So um ESPN has Georgia listed as ten and a half. I'm gonna predict Ole Miss to keep it within ten and a half, man. I, I, I'm gonna put my faith in Kiff. Really? I am. Mm. Surprisingly. Mm. I don't I don't like it. But well I feel like, I feel like I feel like he can he can probably uh, make a little noise. Yeah. I'm going um yeah, I mean, surely if Missouri can keep it under ten, then then Ole Miss can. But uh, I'm gonna go out to the Pac-12. I'm going. I'm going Washington, Utah. It seems like Utah's got everybody out. Uh, you know, quarterback, tight end. Then like one of their top running backs, some maybe a couple of defensive guys too. They just have starters out for the season everywhere. And uh, Washington, it's, you know, you're getting to the nitty-gritty of the season where, you know, you start looking at the schedule, you're like, man, if we can just get past these three. And so maybe their focus tightens a little bit. They're favored by nine and a half versus Utah. Utah's defense is okay, but you saw what Oregon did. They just shredded them, man, and that was on the road. And now Washington gets them at home. I think Washington and Oregon are pretty evenly matched. I'd give the the advantage to Oregon by about seven points on a neutral field. I know they lost at Washington. Washington's got a tough place to play, and uh, I, I'm going to take Washington minus nine and a half versus Utah. Lennon, what do you have? 
Oh, I may regret this, but I'm just going to do it. I, I'm going to take Arkansas minus three over Auburn. Oh, I'm going to do it. For us. I'm going to do it because I, I just uh, – we, we talked about this before. Auburn looks literally lifeless. And please, someone don't tell me about the Vanderbilt game last week because yeah. I think Auburn had more Vanderbilt Vanderbilt uh, fans there. Uh, I think Auburn had more fans there. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Arkansas. I think they're I think after their win over Florida, I think their fans are really trying to push for Arkansas to hopefully be a bowl eligible, and they have to beat Auburn in order for that to happen. I mean, Auburn can lose and then go beat New Mexico State by 50 next week and still be bowl eligible, so they don't really give a shit. Um, but I, I'm going to take Arkansas. I just Auburn away from Jordan Hare just looks literally lifeless. Like they don't even give a shit about playing the game of football per usual per every year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Hogs. All right, yeah. I ho- hope you nail that one, buddy. I'm I'm pulling for you, Landon. Pulling for you with everything I got. Love for Arkansas, and you know, even if they don't cover, if they just go money line, that's fine. You know, I'll take sure. that. I'll take that's a one fine. point win. Sure. <laughs> All right. Anything y'all want to add before we hop off here? Um. Hey, got any comments, questions, whatever? Tweet at us on the uh, Twitter account. I don't really tweet unless somebody looks at me and thinks I play football and asks me if I play football, but I'll probably tweet back at you guys. <laughs> All right, man. We appreciate y'all stopping in, listening to us. Um, oh, real quick, Alabama State's at number eight in the rankings. Me and Lester, we are not surprised by that. We called that. Um, Landon, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Is that about is that what you expected or did you expect? What's it going to take for Alabama to jump somebody? How about that? Let me ask you that. I mean, well, I mean, my personal opinion, I think the rankings should be Texas, Alabama, then Oregon. Um, I think Texas should be Alabama because head of Alabama because they came into our house and they beat us, and I'm gonna honor the head to head. Um, even though and Texas has one loss, just like Alabama has one loss, so I'm gonna honor the head to head. But you know, Oregon's sitting right there, and they're ahead of us, and they also have one loss to the best team they've played, which is Washington. But Alabama has played a tougher schedule, and we have more ranked wins. And everybody always tells us, you know, like you got to play somebody, you got to have a good record, you know, who have you beat, who, you know, who have you played, this famous thing. And Alabama has all those things over Oregon, but we're not ranked ahead of them. So it makes it, it you know, it, we, you know, we go back every year with this committee deal, you know, how conflicting it is and all that. So, um, I mean, my personal opinion, like I said, I think it should be Texas, Alabama, and then Oregon, but it's not because the committee's just un- inconsistent and, uh, I, I think I think Alabama's going to just have to win out and just beat Georgia in this championship, and then everything will be fine. Here's a here's a question, Landon. Uh, week three on Saturday, September sixteenth, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State lost thirty three to seven at home. Who was that loss to? South Alabama. South Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think if they played South Alabama right now in week ten, that they would beat South Alabama at home? I'd put my money on Oklahoma State, yeah. I would too, you know. So, that's easy for us to say. And I would think that just about everybody, unless you're a diehard uh, Jaguar fan down there in Mobile, I think everybody would agree with that. So, how come Alabama can't get that kind of that kind of uh, of argument there with Texas? Like, yeah, Texas came in, they beat Alabama at home. It was embarrassing. Now you watch how Alabama plays. You see how Texas is playing. And it, I'm talking about with Quinn Ewers healthy, not with Malik Murphy coming in. There's no chance he beats Alabama. But even sure. with, a, with a fully healthy Alabama and Texas team, 
even if they played on a neutral field, do you feel like Alabama is the better team right now? And I think that's yeah. how this should be decided. I understand with the head-to-head, but this head-to-head, I think if it comes after week five or six, I can honor that a little bit more than the first three or four weeks of the season. Because think you don't have time to establish an identity. Texas had more players returning than just about anybody in the country. You know, they're in Alabama. Think about all the holes they had to fill from last year, all the new guys they had stepping in, not just on the field, but two guys in the booth as well, along with multiple position coaches. So, and you hate to use that as an excuse, but it's pretty valid once you think about it. And, you know, the committee, I think it's their job to look at how both teams are playing right now and who do you think the best team would be. And that goes for that goes for resume, goes for strength of schedule, whatever you want to say. I think just throw all that out the window. Watch the sure. games. Have somebody watch the games. If these two teams met on a neutral field, who do you think would win? Sure. I think that's, uh, well, I think that's, how, that's how you do it. And I think I think ultimately what they're what they're showing me at least right now is it doesn't really matter who you schedule. Just schedule a bunch of shit teams and and win and win your games and that's all that really matters. As long as that loss column has a zero in it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter who you've played. And it's that's probably the most frustrating thing about the committee is because they sit here and they tell everybody watching the the playoff rankings that Texas is there because of their resume. Yet mm-hmm. Oregon is where they are because they have a top five offense and top fifteen defense. Sure, that doesn't make that's contradicting because Oregon's resume is not good. Their strength of schedule is not good because and so because they've played now. Oregon has a great offense. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe in their defense, um, mm-hmm. but because it's I think it's a typical Pac twelve defense, and I think if they played an offense with the pulse like the you know Washington, they give up thirty six points or whatever. But um, and so now they, they tell me that Oregon is good. Well, d- does it not help their top five offensive ranking and top five or top 15 defensive ranking? It, does it not help that they had the third, the 63rd hardest schedule in the country? I think mm-hmm. that plays a factor in that. Sure. And so well, that's, that's what's most frustrating is that the committee saying that this team is where they are because they played a tough strength of schedule and they have a good resume, and then this team is where they are because they have a good offense and good defense, yet they've played piles of shit. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you can take the same thing and even apply it to Georgia, for example. You know, they're sitting at two, and and I and I get it, but I can go down their schedule and say, well, why are they ranked two? They've, they've played absolutely nobody, and the, the nobodies they've played, I mean, they beat a three and six South Carolina team by ten. They struggled with a Potential not even bowl eligible Auburn and one by seven. They were favored by 33 against Vanderbilt and one by 17 against their backup quarterback. And then they just beat Missouri by nine points. Not like they dominated them or anything like that, but they're sitting there at two. But then you punish, you know, like you were just talking about, you punish these other teams and you list all these random reasons for why this one's ranked to that one. So, like, it's just, it makes no sense. It's just a bunch of inconsistency. And you're like, you know, you just throw your hands up in there and just like, whatever. Yeah, and Georgia's in the same boat. They have the number six total offense in the country and the, the number eleven total defense. But that that looks great on paper. But who who are they playing offense and defense against? And yeah, you're the best you quarterback you played, Spencer Rattler. Yeah, once you figure out that they're playing the 80th toughest schedule, then you know. Anyway, hopefully it works itself out. But Lester, 
J-Lo might be eating crow here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but, you know, just to have the opportunity would be great to be 12-1 and one and, and, you know, make the committee work for it. But, yeah, J-Lo might be eating crow. But let's let's see if Tommy Reese and Jalen Mil- Milrow can keep putting it together and stay consistent. Um, we appreciate Landon for hopping on here so late on such short notice. Um, you know, hopefully have J-Law back next week and we'll have another guest next week. I've already got him lined up. Um, until then, Roll Tide, episode 97, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Landon Beeman, Lester Mitchell, we're out.